Bibles, if you would. Uh, somebody's ringing the doorbell. That's why I was telling you to go out there. Um, not sure what that was about. So, um, take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation. And as we're studying the doctrine of the end times, uh, I thought it might be nice to take just a moment an evening, uh, one subject that we could just try to cram in all uh, to one service and realize that the things that are written in the Bible, the things that are yet to come, are written to the churches of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you have to understand uh that just because it calls itself a church does not mean it is Jesus' church, as we will find out. Let's just dig in, or we're not going to get anywhere near through this. And um, I want to start reading in chapter 1, verse 17. And, well, actually, let's, uh, let's get back here to verse 10, and we'll just read through the end of the chapter. I, this is John, the beloved disciple, was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pepst with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, and said unto me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first. And the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, we have this vision as John is on the Isle of Patmos. He turns to see the voice, and and we don't have time to go through all the description. If you want a description that's very similar, go to the book of Daniel, and you'll find as Daniel describes his vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will, uh, it will coincide almost 100% with John's vision. Why? Because it was the same person. Amen. And he was saying, listen, here's what it's all about. John said the first thing that he saw was seven golden candlesticks. 
He saw seven golden uh, candlesticks. In each candlestick was a candle. And then he saw seven stars in the right hand of one that was like unto the Son of Man. He was trying to describe Jesus in his glorified body. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to write these seven letters to these seven churches. Now, if you read any commentary on the book of Revelation, they will all mention the fact that these seven churches could possibly be seven church ages. Now, I have never really uh, liked that understanding, and here's why. is If it's a true biblical understanding, the Bible says it's not of any private interpretation, you ought to look at the Scripture and understand exactly the same thing I do. Well, the only problem is there are no two commentators that agree on the dates of the seven church ages. They're all different. They all will say, well, here's the church here. And and it's interesting, they all talk about the church at Philadelphia as being the church in revival. But what does Jesus describe the church at Philadelphia as? Thou hast a little strength. Church in revival and having a little strength, not the same thing. And, and by the way, they're talking about the great revivals that happened, the first awakening and the second awakening uh, here in what is now the United States uh, prior to uh, the first great awakening was prior to the uh, Revolutionary War and the second one was just after uh, the Revolutionary War as we were founding our country and putting the Constitution and and uh, up into the 1820s was was that. And yet, the great preachers of the quote-unquote great awakenings, not a one of them believed that believers ought to be baptized by immersion in water. They were all Protestants. Uh that is kind of, well, not kind of, that is one of the uh, distinguishing characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ. If the church doesn't baptize right, it's not Jesus' church. And so what we are talking about here is seven churches that were actually in existence and have the very problems that Jesus was directing John to write about. And uh, let me tell you something. Every one of these problems that was going on in every one of these seven churches in John's day is still going on in churches today. Because people don't change. Time changes. Uh, I mean, if uh, we were writing the passage today, maybe it wouldn't be Jezebel. Maybe it would be um, Amy Simple McPherson or something like that put in there. Uh, uh, but the simple truth of the matter is we can look and understand that these problems that are going on in the churches are characteristic of the churches today. The only church that we know anything about historically is the first one, the church at Ephesus. That church, according to history, uh, continued right up until uh, the late 
uh, uh, 6th century uh, when the um, Mohammedan Turks came in and began to uh, control the entire area and wipe out the Christians. There, there was a church at Ephesus until the Muslims took over. Uh, that's the only thing that we know about these churches. Uh, we hear uh, there was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Coloss and said, I want you to read this letter to, in the church at Laodicea. And I want the, church, the letter that I wrote to Laodicea, which we do not have a copy of. We don't know what he wrote. He said, I want you to read their letter. And so uh, these were real churches Real problems, and what I want us to do in a whirlwind fashion, in a summary fashion tonight, is to go through the seven churches and realize that he who speaks, the sharp two-edged sword goes out of his mouth, the word of God, the living word, the written word, is speaking to us. He is speaking to churches, and we as churches had better Pay attention. Don't worry about who the Antichrist might be. You ought to be paying attention to the letters to the churches. Amen. And so we start here in Ephesians, uh, the church of Ephesians. And verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patient and for my name's sake has labored and not fainted. Now that's a good description of a good church. Amen. He said, listen, you've worked. He said, you've been able to tell the difference between the truth and error. You've ferreted out the liars and the imposters. He said, but you've got a problem. This is the church that left its first love. That's what it says. Look at the next verse here. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Sometimes this happens in a marriage. Is People will get married, and they'll get used to each other, and they will stop the things that brought them together. Listen, there is no cure for leaving your first love except going back to it. That's simply what he said. But you're never going to get back to that first love until you stop doing the things you're doing and go back and start doing the things that you used to do. One of the stories I like to tell and and my wife and I took two days this week and just kind of got away. And, and one of my laments is, you know, they just don't make vehicles with bench seats in the front anymore. Uh, how many are old enough to remember bench seats in the front of the vehicle where you could sit next to each other and all that fun stuff? I mean, when we went on our honeymoon, it was actually a pickup truck. So there was only one seat. It just went across the front. And that was very nice. Uh, you can't do that today. Uh, everything is bucket seats. Who ever wanted to sit? Who came up with the idea of sitting in a bucket anyway? But uh, that's the way it works. And one of the stories they used to tell was 
they were driving. Husband and wife been married many years. This was many years ago. And she says, you know, honey, uh, we don't sit close together like we used to in the car. And he just looks over and he says, I haven't moved. I'm still stuck behind the steering wheel. And sometimes we do that to the Lord Jesus Christ. We get so busy trying to serve Him that we're not serving Him for the right reasons. And it's something that as a church we have to guard against. Are we doing what we once did? Yes. Are we doing what we once did for exactly the same reasons we used to do them? Oh, well then maybe we've lost our first love. It happens in churches and the warning here is tremendous. Jesus said, listen, I want you to remember from whence thou art fallen, repent He says, I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, here Jesus explains in his reprimand of this first church, all of church history. He says, listen, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Did he say, I'm going to come down and padlock the door? Did he say, I'm going to scatter the people that come and assemble together as a church? No, he didn't say any of those things. We would think if somebody closed down open door Bible Baptist Church, they would padlock the doors and lock us out of our building and then we couldn't have church. Is that true? No, that's not true because the church is not the building. The church is the people. And Jesus does not say he's going to scatter the people, that he's going to lock the doors, that he's going to stop them from assembling. What he says is, I'm going to take your candle out. I'm not showing up anymore. There's not going to be any presence of the Lord Jesus Christ Because this church is no longer going to be his church. If you study church history at all, you will find that uh, the Orthodox and the Catholic Church have co-opted all of the true churches and said, Hey, these are our churches. Well, why? Well, because by about uh, 312 uh, A.D., when... Constantine began, proclaimed himself the first Christian emperor and began to have meetings of, of the pastors. You know that some of those people that showed up to his first meeting were Bible-believing people. But when they found out that the emperor was taking over the church, guess what they did? They left. Now, what did the church do? You'll have to remember that less than 50 years before Constantine, only about 15 years actually, Diocletian was one of the most 
incredible persecutors of Christians, wiping out entire towns. And so there were people that were so relieved that they could be a Christian and not be persecuted and not be killed that they were willing to compromise their doctrine and get along with the emperor so they would no longer be persecuted. Now we have churches changing what they are, and we'll, we'll have evidence of this as we go through the churches here. But Jesus said, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do for the reasons I tell you to do the reasons, first love, you're going to cease being my church. So now church history gets complicated because we have uh, the best description I ever heard. I got this from uh, 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 a fellow named Strauss. I took a couple of classes several years ago, and he put it this way. And I read Thomas Strauss. I was forgetting his first name. He said, there are candlestick churches and non-candlestick churches. Jesus said, I'm going to take your candlestick out. I'm, there's only going to be six candlesticks there. Now, does that mean that in Gen uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, that his church has been prevailed against? No. You say, but, but he, they, he stopped them from being a, a church. Yes, those people, that church chose to disobey Christ. Therefore, Jesus' church is going on. That's why the history of the church is a history of separation. You have people coming out from the group that has changed and starting a new group. And you can see this happening in history over and over and over again. And so, as Jesus warns the church here at Ephesus, if you leave your first love... Even though you're doing the right things, if you're not doing them for the right reason, I'm not showing up. And your church will cease to be a candlestick church. And New York City is full of buildings that say Baptist Church on them. Some historical Baptist churches. First Baptist Church in Manhattan was founded by John Gano, who was George Washington's personal chaplain during the Revolutionary War. You say, how did he do that? Why did he leave his church? Because the British Army, when they occupied New York City, shut down all churches except the Church of England. The only thing that was operating was Trinity Church over here in Lower Manhattan. All the other churches were closed. John Gano followed the forces of freedom and, if I understand things correctly, went back to pastor of the church after the war and, and followed other people there. And yet today, the last testimony I heard of what is actually going on there, the pastor was saying, we're trying to build bridges to the community in which we live. And uh, there was a group of people up here from a Bible college in Heartland passing out tracts. And they said, he said, you're going to mess up my testimony with the community passing out that offensive literature. And I'm sitting here going, something happened. And we're not blaming the guy that's over here now. We're talking about somebody that was over there 50 years before now. 
that begin that process of changing that church from a gospel-preaching church into a non-candlestick church. You say, when does that happen? You know what? Jesus said he was the one that was going to yank the candlestick. So don't you and I go around. You'll find out there's a lot of levi- a lot of room for movement. There's some pretty horrible things going on in these churches. And yet Jesus said to every one of these churches, if you will repent, I will work. Look at verse uh, seven, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the church at Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and poverty, uh, and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Called this the poor, rich church. This church did not have anything of this world's goods, but they had Jesus. You know what? That made them a rich church now, didn't it? And he told them, listen, here's what I want you to do. Now be afraid of the things you're going to suffer. You be faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and you will have eternal life. That's what Jesus' church is all about. Amen? And and there's so many much more we could say about church at Smyrna, but we need to keep moving. The church at Pergamos, uh, sometimes I feel like we have more to identify with this church maybe than some of the other churches that are listed here. Uh, it says here in verse 12, and, unto the, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, and even in those days wherein Antipas my faithful mar- was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. He says, listen, you're the persecuted church. He said, you live in the very throne room of Satan. And you have kept the testimony. He said, but I got some things against you. He said, because you have compromised your doctrine. He said, there was two things that they did. The doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And uh, we don't have time to build this all up, but Balaam was um, the uh, he ta- he taught the Moabites to cast a stumbling block. It was the joining of religions. Do we have that going on today? That is one of the major forces in Christianity. Is uh, when I was in Bible college, the, the code words were, we're going to make the important things the important things. Well, what's the important thing? Uh, Jesus, that's the important thing. Uh, well, what about the Word of God? Well, it doesn't matter what version you use. Well, what about baptism? It really doesn't matter how you baptize them. Those are unimportant things. Oh, wait a minute. People died. 
to hold a copy of this book in their hands. The Zwingli, the quote-unquote great reformer, he had come up with this all on his own. He called it the, the third baptism because he believed the first baptism happened when you were a baby and the second baptism happened when you repudiated the mother and the true church, uh, the church at Rome or the Protestant church, and he had a third baptism where they tied a rock around your neck and drowned you in a river. He said, you like water so much? He said, that's what we'll do. Listen, Balaam said, it's okay if you want to really trip up the people of God. He said, I can't curse them, but I'll show you how you can make God judge his own people. And how that was, was a merging of the two religions. Balaam is alive today. Nicolaitans, the best I can give you on the Nicolaitans is very simply religion for hire. That there's a prophet in religion. Turn on TBS, man. That's what it's all about. Making money for Jesus. These are doctrines that were alive and well in the first century when this book was written. They've taken on different names and different ways and different processes, but they are infiltrating churches today. And Jesus says, listen, you've got to get those things out of your church He says, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh. I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saying he that receiveth it. And again, we're just summarizing here, but what we're talking about Hidden manna, a special private treat, a new name that no one knows. What we're talking about here is intimacy with Christ. What we're talking about is Christ blessing you particularly in your life. If you want those blessings, if you want that closeness, you're going to have to get false doctrine out of your life and out of, keep it out of your church. And you will be close to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be close to you. One of the things that often designates closeness, at least in an Italian family, is that you have different names, special names, pet names. They do that in Brazil, don't they? You you have to have three or four names in order to be a member of the family. Uh, I'm sure other cultures do the same thing. Uh, Pet names, that's basically what Jesus is talking about. I'm going to get close to you if you'll get close to me. And he's warning this church. And let me tell you, it's going on horrendously today. Uh, We come down to the church at Thyatira, verse 18. It says, I know thy works and thy charity and thy servant and thy faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Doesn't that sound good? You know, there can be an awful lot of good going on in the church. At the same time, there's an awful lot of bad going on. And this church, you talk about a messed up church. Uh, here is the second most messed up church in, in the list of seven that's being spoken of here. It says, 
that thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, and to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And so, we have unsaved, false religious teachers teaching in the church of Jesus Christ. How can that still be a true church? I don't know, but Jesus says it is. He still claims his church is one of his. And he tells them that they need to get it straightened out. But if they don't get it straightened out, you read the rest of the letter there, he's going to sort it out himself. He's going to take Jezebel and her children, and he's going to cast them into great tribulation. But his people that are saved by his his name, it says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. I want you to hold fast till I come. Then we get to chapter 3 in the church at Sardis. He says, I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. He's the living dead church. Or the dead living church. I mean, there were still things going on. Uh, they were giving mission offerings. They were doing things. But Jesus said, listen, you are dead. It says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Look at this next phrase here. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. We get so much from these letters. I believe based upon this passage that every living person is written in the book of life. But there comes a moment when they choose to reject Jesus Christ. And then he goes and he blots that name out. Once that name is blotted out of the book of life, there is no hope for that soul. And here's, here's what it says. Jesus said, listen, even in a dead church where things are not right, he said, if you'll be faithful to me, you will share in the salvation of God because God saves souls. He's never lost one. Amen? And so... We get out of that somber area and we come here to to verse 7 of chapter 3. And this is uh, one of my most favorite passages in all the Bible. This is where we got the name for our church. Some people think, well, you grew up at Church of the Open Door in Westminster, Maryland. That's why you like Open Door. No. Uh, Actually, there's no connection there. The connection is here. It is, thou hast a little strength. And I I know thy works, verse 8, and I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not 
denied my name. That is where the name of Open Door Bible Baptist Church comes from. Praise God. When we actually put the name on the paperwork and organized as Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria, uh, we were scrambling to find enough people to sign the documents and file them and and all of those things. We uh, had uh, 15 or 20 people normally in our services. And I mean, when when I read those verses, thou hast a little strength. I mean, it was just... Amen, amen, amen. That's where we are. Uh, Praise God. We're not that little anymore. That we do have a little more strength. But guess what? When one of the reasons I like going to the home missions conference is I like being reminded when I sit beside or sit next to some of these other pastors that are there that our church really has just a little strength. That there are some churches out there that are doing tremendous things for home missions. Um, in the three or four, the, the, the four days of the conference, three days, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, basically, uh, if it goes this year as it has in the past, we'll raise over a quarter of a million dollars. We're taking 5000 uh, that's a lot of money. To you, try to match it up with everything else that's going on. That has the little strength. You know what? We need to be reminded about that. Because if we ever get past that, we'll end up like the Laodicean church. Being rich and increased with goods, the lukewarm warm church, the church that makes Jesus sick. But even to the Laodicean church, look what he says. Let's go to the uh, end of Revelation chapter 3. And, and a lot of people want to take this verse as soul winning, but this is not. This is talk, Jesus is talking to his church here. Verse 7, oh, let's just get the whole thing. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. By the way, just got to stop there. He was not the first thing created. He was the source of all creation. So when you run into your Jehovah's Witness friend and they say, See, he was the beginning of the creation of God. You say, that that's exactly correct. All creation began from him. No, 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 no. He... No, that's what it means. It means that in the English. It means that in the Greek. And, and the rest of the Bible attests to that fact. John chapter 1, And without him was not made anything that was made. And even the translators of the New World Translation, they fixed verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They, they changed that verse to match their doctrine. They didn't fix the next one, and without him was not anything made that was made, and it still punches holes in everything they believe. You can monkey with the word, but you can't erase the truth that is in it. And so he tells this church, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I I would thou wert cold or hot. 
So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see, mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I want to challenge you in our last few minutes that we're here tonight. As we look at this letter to the church, the Laodicean church was the most messed up church of the seven. I mean, Jesus has more condemnation for them. And yet he stands there and says... I'm waiting at the door. Whose church is it? Do you see what Jesus is actually saying? He's saying, I'm being shut out of my own church. But I'm waiting. If you'll let me in, I'll come in. And we'll have that fellowship. And we'll fix those eyes that cannot see, and we'll heal that sickness and that miserableness, and we'll clothe the nakedness, and we will. And Jesus says, "I will get it done." Why? Because it is His church, and what goes on in His church is a testimony to who Jesus is. And that's why it's important for each of us not to look to ourselves, but to look to our Savior. He is able. If I were to ask tonight, how many of us here tonight are struggling with some burden, some problem, some difficulty in our life? How many of us got something going on that, that is trying our souls. I'll tell you what, every adult in here would raise their hand and every kid that's in school would say, yeah, I got lots of stuff going on. I mean, every one of us would raise our hands. You know, the reason why we do not have the help that we need. I mean, remember the sermon on the 23rd Psalm. Thou preparest a table before me where? In the presence of mine enemies. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you'll let me in, we're coming in and we're going to sup. That means eat. I don't know about you, but I like to eat. How about you? Uh, How many of you just enjoy sitting down to a good meal? Especially if somebody else prepares it. I mean, 
That, that's just, uh, it's just one of the pleasures of life. And Jesus said, listen, I'm preparing. And we can go back through these letters. There's an awful lot of things going wrong in these churches. You know what that tells us? I often tell people, they say, well, I'm looking for a good church. I said, Open Door Bible Baptist Church is not a perfect church. I said, but we are striving together to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our church is about. We are trying. We are working as much as is humanly possible to be obedient to the Word of God. And... I would believe that that's what's going on at our church. Are there other things going on? Oh, there's lots of things going on that I am just so glad I'm a human being and I have no way of knowing. God's going to take care of it all. He's going to straighten it out. And if it's something I can straighten out, let me tell you, the Lord will make me aware of what's going on and we'll get it straightened out if, if it can be. But the simple truth is, if we'd all listen to that knocking and just sit down and sup with Jesus, there wouldn't be any problems to straighten out now, would there? And what we need to do is understand that everything that is necessary for our church to serve the Lord Jesus Christ is in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what problem you face in this life, the issue is Jesus Christ, not anything else. How well do you know him? I'll tell you what. He told the church in Philadelphia, Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. He said, I've opened that door and nobody's going to shut it. I pray that would always be true of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I pray that would always be true of North Brooklyn Baptist Church. I, I pray that would always be true Cornerstone Bible Baptist and Fleshman's and Iglesia Bautista International downstairs uh, and, and any church that names the name of Jesus Christ. But those in particular, why? Because we're attached, amen? There's a connection there. And there is... The power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we study about prophecy is to challenge his church to draw closer to Christ. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we thank you for your letters to your churches. And Lord, I pray that we take that challenge and just read through these things more closely and allow the Holy Spirit to bring out things to us to teach us and to... Help us understand what you would have us to do. Lord, we ask you to have your will and way in this time of invitation. And send us home. Bring us back together to worship you on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer.